Well, as always, it's a pleasure of mine to be able to stand in this pulpit and open up the Word of God with you guys this morning. If you guys do have one of your Bibles, I would encourage you to open it up to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 65, starting in verse 17, which is going to be on page 624 if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles around the room. It might be on the screen, but no promises. All right, in case you were not here last week, I began a small mini-series, and small I mean just two weeks, last week and this week, um, basically on the doctrine of eternity. What does the Bible have to say of eternity? What does the Bible have to say about when you die? What happens? What happens? Now, last week was on the topic of hell. The topic on what does eternity look like for those if they were to die today in their sins? Or if Jesus were to come back today without ever understanding, without ever repenting, without ever acknowledging him as Lord and Savior and God and mighty and just, what would happen? What would happen to them? What would happen to those who never bowed their knee to King Jesus? Uh, It was a sobering week for many, including myself. To just unashamedly, pointedly look at the doctrine of hell. Doctrine of hell. As many of you know, it was actually, uh, it was a pretty difficult sermon for me to preach. It was difficult. And it might have been one of the most important sermons I have ever preached to this point. And it wasn't, it wasn't difficult, church, because I struggled to believe in the doctrine of hell. Or what the Bible does have to say about being just. And what does judgment look like? For sinners like you and I. It wasn't difficult to preach it for those, those reasons. But it was difficult to preach it because it reminded me of just the weight of what eternity has. The weight of eternity behind it. Because what we're doing today, church, right? what we're doing this morning, what we're doing in the worship of God, right? what we're doing in the proclamation of the gospel, what we're doing when we proclaim that Jesus lived and died and rose again and ascended to his throne. When we talk about sins and how does one atone for his sins, what does just punishment look like for sins? Well, it has eternal consequences, doesn't it? So it's not just us trying to figure out what to do for a couple hours on Sunday morning. There's so much more to it than that. Because eternity, it's not defined by your truth, right? It's not even defined by my truth. It's not for us just to think through, like, well, I hope somebody finds the way that works for them and it pays off in the end. That's not what we believe, church. It's not what the Word of God says. That's why it's not my truth. The only truth that is is God's truth, right? And that's why we have to to lift up and, and look and study this book of where God has revealed himself and say, what does God have to say about forever? What does he say about eternity? So I hope, if, if you were not here last week, I would do encourage you um, to go back and listen to that sermon, because it's an important one for your soul. It was an important one for mine, especially never really, from, from what I can tell, never really hearing a sermon just on hell, and certainly for me, uh, I'd never been able to preach a sermon just on hell before. So I hope you can go back and take a look. But today, we're in part two. And part two is we're at the other side of this, right? The other chasm, so to speak. 
And we're looking at the concept of heaven, the place where God dwells. Being the place where the goodness of God and his glory will be enjoyed forever and ever. A stark contrast to the doctrine of hell as it should be. Last week it was, what are we saved from? This week it's, what are we saved to? What are we saved to? And so I want to take some time this morning to just show you what does the Bible actually say about heaven? What does it actually say about heaven? Because here is my conviction. In our culture today, in the way that maybe many of us have been raised, we have just as much of a distorted view on heaven as we did of hell. But we don't think about it that often, right? We don't study it. We don't give it much time. So generally speaking, here's why. Here's why we don't ever actually dedicate time to just thinking about and studying. What does the Bible say about heaven? Well, one is I think just in the, maybe in the American West, uh, we tend to not think about heaven because we don't think it's really urgently needed. Right? It's not something that we think it would be a good idea if that were to happen today. And why not? Well, in a lot of ways, we're, we're pretty blessed people, aren't we? Right? We have provision, right? We have food, we have water, we have housing. We have a lot of good things going for us. So we don't think about, I need God to enact a new heavens and new earth today. Because simply put, the paradise that we live in now is pretty good. It's pretty good. And so we don't think about the paradise to come. Now, I'm not saying, church, I want to be really clear on this. I'm not saying that you have to embrace like a poverty theology in order to actually understand or appreciate what the Bible says about heaven. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we most looking forward to with our lives? Is it this kingdom or is it the kingdom to come? That's one reason. The other reason I don't think we think about heaven is because, quite honestly, we think it's going to be boring. Right? We have been taught that heaven is nothing but us sitting on a bunch of clouds and maybe singing the same song for all of eternity over and over and over again. And so when someone says, let's talk about heaven, they're like, I don't know if I really want to go there. It seems like a pretty boring place. Well, that's not the heaven of the Bible. I can assure you of that. Last thing that I think tends to move our thoughts and our minds away from the concept of heaven is, is we just get caught up on the immediate needs or the immediate wants in our lives today. The things that we got to do, the jobs that we have to work, all that are important, the kids that we need to raise, the people that we want to encourage, the people that we want to bless. All good things. <coughs> Excuse me. But hear me on this, church. We can get excited about heaven more than just at funerals. I hope you know that. Funerals are not the only time where a Christian can think about heaven and the life to come. The book of Ecclesiastes says that God actually put eternity on our hearts. It's something that we should long for. It's something that is a part of our image. It's part of our design that we should long for. And truthfully, if you want to do the most good on, in this world, it's by thinking about the world to come, not the other way around. So I hope that today's sermon, I hope that as we walk through a bunch of different texts, I do hope that you have a better picture of what the Bible actually says about heaven and why we can be actually really excited about it as we leave here today. But as always, I'm going to stop right there, and I want to pray one more time. And I wanna, I'm going to pray for you.
and just your receiving of God's word. And I ask, as I'm praying for you, will you just pray for me in the preaching of it? So let's go ahead and just pray for each other. Well, God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the ways that you love and cherish us, all the ways that you have revealed yourself to your word. So God, I pray for that we would be receptive of it, that God, that you would illuminate these passages, illuminate this text for us to rightly see who you are and what you've done and what we are being saved to as just beloved sons and daughters of you, Lord. God, I pray for those that are in here that maybe are not quite sure where they're at, that that you would just reveal yourself to them in a powerful and mighty way and they would be able to walk out of here with just confidence, confidence in knowing who you are and that they don't have to fear death because if death comes in this world, it is not the end. It is not the end. God, I also pray for our kiddos. God, I pray for our teachers as they are, are teaching even just the, the, the youngest minds, the youngest hearts in this building about who you are, Lord. And I pray that you would bless that time and even our kids would walk out of here loving you far more when they first walked in. So I say that all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Hopefully you guys found Isaiah chapter 65 by now. And we're going to be picking up in verse 17. And just a word of a note based off the kind of the... uh, what we're doing today is I'm going to be looking at a bunch of different Bible verses, right? We're not just simply just walking through one passage of Scripture today. I'm going to be trying to give you like a holistic view of what does the Bible have to say about heaven. But I think Isaiah 65 is a good spot to turn our attention to right away. So Isaiah 65, let me read it for us. Starting in verse 17, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. When they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, we're thankful for God's word. That's why we say that. Now, before we actually get into the text, right, before we get into what is this new heavens and this new earth, I need to do a little bit of, of classroom time to kind of just give you guys some framework on how does the Bible actually use the word heaven. Because the Bible uses the word heaven a lot, but it's not always talking about the same thing. So I want to show you some other ways the Bible talks about heaven before we get into what we're talking about when we talk about heaven today. So there's basically three different ways the Bible tends to use the word heaven. Sometimes the Bible uses the word heaven to describe the atmosphere or the hydrological cycles, basically the troposphere, 
of where clouds and accumulation of weather and moisture gather. For example, when Noah was building his ark in Genesis 7, it says that the heavens opened up and it began to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is talking about the atmosphere, right? It's talking about the clouds in the sky. It's talking about the moisture above. A second way the Bible uses the word heaven is to describe the solar system or planets. In Psalm 8, the psalmist says, When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars in which you have set in place. So it's talking about the solar system, talking about the stars, talking about the planets. And they use the word heaven to describe the reality of its grandness. Its grandness. But it's talking about the solar system. Now, the last way that sometimes the Bible uses the word heaven, or sometimes called the third heaven, is basically the heaven that is currently today. Currently today. That when you die, Christian, your soul is immediately in the presence of God. The place where God dwells. That's what heaven is. This is place where you are ruling and reigning with him. Ruling and reigning with him. If you remember the thief on the cross, one of the two men that died next to Jesus when he was crucified, one of those thieves recognized who Jesus was, right? Confessed who he was. Understood that Jesus is and was who he said he is and was. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. In paradise. It's talking about the heaven currently, right? There's not a holding cell, right? There's not a purgatory. Basically, if you die, Christian, you are imme- your soul is immediately in the presence of God forever. That's one way the Bible describes heaven, the third heaven. But here's what I need to point out. There's also, basically, a fourth way the Bible describes heaven, and that's really where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, and that is the new heaven in the new earth. Because where you spend eternity right now, if you were to die today, right, and be with, with God right now, your soul's in the presence of God right now, that's not exactly the place where you will spend all of eternity. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. The Bible is clear that one day there's going to be a final judgment, right, where Jesus is going to return and he's going to consummate his kingdom. And when he consummates his kingdom, it says he's going to establish this new heavens and this new earth. This new earth. So basically, on that day of judgment, where everybody will be judged for their sin, whether you have to pay for it because you have refused to honor and trust in Christ, or that you are passed over because that judgment that was stored up for you was laid on Jesus on the cross. When that day of judgment comes... God says immediately after that he will usher in this new heaven and this new earth. One single place where God will dwell for all of eternity. And the Bible uses the language, it's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It's going to be a place where God is fully on display, church. Unimaginable glory and goodness. Without any hint of sin. Nothing that's filtering us away to truly appreciate and know exactly who God is. Now just to be clear. So for the rest of the sermon, when I say heaven, I'm talking about the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and new earth. Now, for those of you who are interested, today I'm not going to be talking about eschatology. I'm not going to be talking about those details or those events that lead up to Jesus consummating this new heavens and new earth. I'm not going to be talking about the millennial views. I'm not going to be talking about the rapture. 
If you're interested in that, I would love to talk to you another time, but that's not the focus of today. That's not the focus of today. The focus of today is to understand what is this new heavens and new earth going to be like? What is it going to be like to see Jesus and his glory on full display for all of eternity? It's going to be really neat, guys. But first, let me, let's go ahead and start with John 14.1. Let me show you something. John 14.1, this is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's about to get crucified. And he's trying to encourage them. So look at this, John 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. All right, so when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he's reminding them of what he is about to do. Right? He gives them some good news. Amidst of everything that's about to happen in the next 48 hours in Jesus' life. Because Jesus knows that when he goes to the cross, what is he going to do? He's going to pay the penalty for sin. Right? He's going to absorb the wrath of God. He's going to die of substitutionary death. He's going to vicariously atone for the guilty, which is you and I. Those who stand condemned in and of ourselves, God is going to go to the cross. But before he does that, he's giving them some good news. He's saying, but there's something more that's going to happen. There's something more that even though that I'm going to die a sinner's death, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise, I'm going to ascend back to my home. And I'm doing that for a very good reason. I'm doing that because I'm going to prepare a place. I'll prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing what this new heavens and this new earth will look like. So if you look back at that text real quick, it says that there are many rooms. This is also be good translated, many mansions. Many mansions. So when Jesus says that he, when he is going to come back, you are immediately going to understand the place in which Jesus has been preparing for you, Christian. So what is that place? Right? What does the new heavens and new earth actually look like? Well, there's a few places we could go. Like we go back to the Isaiah passage which we read just a minute ago. Or we could even look at that call to worship text that I read at the beginning of our time. Revelation 21, which is probably one of the most clearest examples of what this new heavens and new earth will look like. And actually, I want to go there. I want to go back to Revelation 20. So if you guys uh, can just make a big, hard right turn in your Bible, go to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and go to chapter 21. Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is the place that Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare for you. This is the place in which Jesus is saying, you need to be hopeful of this. You need to be hopeful of this. That knowing that I am coming back, and when I come back, I'm taking you here. So let me read this one more time. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, important passage, church. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Church, I think that's, we could just read that all day and walk out of here really excited about the new heavens and new earth, couldn't we? But let's, let's unpack this a little bit. So there's going to be this transformation, it sounds like, of heaven and earth. That's why he says there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. That, and that word new in the Greek is the word kainos, kainos, which indicates not something that's brand new, but something that's superior to what is of old. So it's indicating that even though I'm not 100% sure how this is going to look like, basically God is going to restore and bring about one place called the new heavens and new earth that's going to be perfect, utmost perfection, goodness. But in some ways, it's going to be like the earth that we inhabit now. But one major difference. Did you catch that? The one major difference that Revelation 21 has that we do not experience right now? There's going to be no more sin. No more consequences of sin. In fact, sin cannot coexist in a perfect place. That's why at the end of chapter 21, it actually says that there's nothing unclean there. And only those whose names are written in the book of life will inhabit it. So in some ways, it's actually going to be like going back to the Garden of Eden, right? This perfected state of creation, this perfect harmony between God and his people. The book of Romans makes mention that it's not just people who are longing for this. It's actually all of creation. All of creation is longing for this day, which makes me believe that this earth is not going to be just burned up entirely, but it's going to be renewed in some way. It's going to be renewed where all of the consequences of sin are going to be removed. So I don't know what this is going to look like, but I can just imagine that means that all of creation, all of the trees, all of the mountains, Lake Tahoe, all things that were created by God, we are going to be able to experience them as they were originally intended to experience. Lake Tahoe, without any effects of the fall. Animals, without any effects of the fall. I don't know if they're going to look the same, but I know it's going to be awesome. I know it's going to be really cool. So, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing to look forward to, right? All of creation being renewed. All of the trees no longer bear the consequences of sin in this world. The Bible also says in this new heavens and this new earth, this will be the time when you actually receive this new heavenly perfected body, a physical body. Right now, if you were to die, your, your soul goes in the presence of the Lord, but you are still longing for a lowly body to be transformed. So whether we're alive or alive when Jesus comes back, or you're already with him, at this point, all believers will be reunited or be restored to this heavenly body, this heavenly perfect body. Now, I know this, and I've, I've said this repeatedly from stage, I'm 32, right? I'm, I'm 32 years old. I cannot try to tell you that how much I'm longing for this aging body of mine to be renewed. Some of you guys are like, you don't even know what an aging body looks like. So I'm not going to pretend to know, but I know many of you are. You're longing for this perfect body, right, without any of the consequences of sin. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if that's going to be around age 33, which Jesus' resurrected body looked like, or that was just special for his resurrection. 
But maybe it's something you could look at. Imagine yourself at 33. Maybe that's what it's looking like. I don't know. But we know it's going to be perfect. It's going to be awesome. No more pain. Right? No more fatigue. No more cancer. No more blindness. No more effects of the fall, church, on your body. No more times that you're going to have to wake up one day going, man, I feel like I hurt myself during the night. You don't ever have to have that the rest of all eternity. You don't have to worry about that. You will never have to worry about your body failing ever again or something not working, right? You can eat gluten again. I know some of you are looking forward to that. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm going in the pizza. I'll tell you that much right now. My stomach's going to be new. It's going to be perfect. I can handle it. I really can't wait for this, I'll be quite honest. Um, you know, in high school, uh, I got made fun of quite a bit for one particular thing, and that was my run. They said, hey, Luke, you run like a duck. <laughs> they said, you hit like a truck, but you run like a duck. And I'll be honest, I'm looking forward to not running like a duck anymore. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to run like. I don't know if it's going to be a cheetah or some kind of other animal, but it's going to be a better animal than a duck. I can tell you that much. So I'm looking forward to this. So we can praise God, right? We can be excited that God promises this new body, that this lowly body that has the effects of sin will be no more for all of eternity. But what are we going to be doing, right? What are we actually going to be doing in the new heavens and new earth? Are we just going to be singing all the time? I, don't, I think we are going to be singing, but I don't think it's going to be all the time. I think there's actually going to be many songs that we're going to sing. It's going to be... Just a constant act of worship is what eternity will look like with God. It won't be boring. There's actually going to be this, a community. We're going to flourish together. Right? There's going to be an aspect where we are working in harmony for a common purpose, and that is the almighty worship of our God. If you were to keep reading in Revelation 21, if you still have your Bibles open, go ahead and jump down to verse 10. Let me show you something. Where this is where John is basically getting this vision of what this new heavens, new earth will look like. And, it, and he says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So there's going to be this city, this new Jerusalem. If we were to keep reading, you would see that there's this description of, of gold and jasper and basically all the beauty that is will be on full display. But this city, this Jerusalem, this, this new city is actually going to be massive. If you jump down to verse 16, we're given some figures. Now, I don't know if these are literal figures or not. But it basically says that the city lies four square, its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and its width and its height are equal. I'm sure many of you guys have notes in your Bible what a stadia is. But basically, a 12,000 stadia equals about 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles. So there's going to be this massive Jerusalem, this new city that's going to come that's 1,400 miles wide, as long, as tall. That's a big city. 1,400 miles, to put it in perspective, is about uh, the length from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. Or if you were to split the country in half from basically maybe Kansas City area all the way to the west coast in width. 1,400 miles tall. That's really tall. There's no oxygen right now at 1,400 miles tall. 
but our new bodies will be able to handle it. So it's going to be this massive city. There's this city will have gates all around it, but you know what the gates are doing? They're always open, always open. And you know why that is? Because there's no threat anymore. There's no sin. Everybody is welcome to come into the city. There's no hierarchy, right? There's no oppression. There's not a, this is for these type of people and this place is for you type of people. We are one in Christ in the new heavens and new earth, fully experiencing all of the riches and blessings, inheritance which God has. I think that we're also going to have jobs in the new heavens and new earth. I believe that for a couple of reasons. One is God created man and women to work before the fall in the Garden of Eden. That they were given a job to cultivate and flourish the land. So it wasn't a matter of sin. When sin entered the world, it was not to create work, but it was, a, it was to inhibit the joyfulness of work. But when sin is removed, church, then we actually have full joy in our work. Full gladness, Right? We're not going to get stressed out at work anymore. We're not going to have bad bosses at work anymore. You know, money or compensation will not be needed anymore. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but I've been thinking about it this week, is I think I'm probably going to have to find a new job in New Heavens, New Earth. <laughs> right? I, I'm not going to be able to say, like, hey, let me come talk to you about Jesus for a moment. <laughs> Jesus like, I'm right here. And everybody will know him fully, right? There's not going to be sin anymore, so there's not going to be any need for any more counseling. There's not going to be a need for any more prayers of intervention, of healing anymore. I don't know if there's going to be preaching, but even if there is preaching, can we be honest? Considering the company that's going to be in the new heavens and new earth, I'm probably not going to be selected to preach a sermon. <laughs> there's, there's men that you probably are going to want to listen to besides me. Maybe I'll do the pizza truck, right? <laughs> My family has a pizza truck. I don't know if you guys know this or not. But if, if pizza is there, maybe I should start running this, running a new trade. I do think there's going to be eating and feasting, though, right? We see this banquet, this final supper with the lamb, this giant feast. So not only are we going to be working, have jobs, we're also going to be celebrating, building community, dining with one another, right? There's going to be relationships, now, some of those relationships are not going to look like they look now, such as marriage. But we do know that everything that is in the new heavens and new earth is to bring about fullness of joy, church. So even the relationships that God in his mercy has let you experience the goodness of those in a fallen world, we're going to experience the grandness, the crescendo of those in the world to come. It's going to be much better when sin is not present. Before our, our uh, pre-service prayer this morning, my, my daughter Mia was having a chocolate donut as we were about to pray for the service. And I said, Mia, do you think there's going to be chocolate donuts in heaven? And she goes, better chocolate donuts. <laughs> That's good theology. <laughs> I believe there's also going to be creativity, right? We're going to be able to learn about cultures we're going to learn about how God has saved individuals. We're going to be able, the nations will still be present, right? There'll still be different cultures. We can learn from each other, learn different aspects of flourishing under God's good and gracious reign. I believe that we're going to be able to learn new songs. There's going to be creativity there. We're going to be able to read 
good books still. We're going to be able to learn about kings and queens and royalty and individuals throughout human history that banked and trusted in this God, in this Lord and Savior in which we do now. We're going to be able to talk to people, talk to people like Moses, right, Elijah. I think we're going to be able to hopefully sit down with Charles Spurgeon, right? One of my, one of my you know, mentors and say, hey, Charles, I don't know what I'm going to call him, Mr. Spurgeon. I have no idea yet. But you know what? We're going to be able to delight in Christ face-to-face like we do so often now through books. It's going to be great. We're going to be constantly worshiping, not necessarily singing. Worship is so much more than singing. I hope you know that. It's just giving what worth is to the right person. Our hearts will be thankful. Our hearts will be full of joy. Actually, let me show you this. This is from Psalm 16. Where the psalmist is actually imagining what heaven is going to be look like. It says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Remember, Sheol is another word for hell. So he's contrasting hell to heaven here. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore, church. That's what he's describing about the new heavens and new earth. So if someone ever makes it sound like heaven is going to be boring, you show them this first. No, there's going to be pleasures, right? There's going to be delight. There's going to be joy forevermore. Heaven is going to be a lot of things, but boring is not one of them. It's not one of them. In 1 Peter, Peter compares it to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading. That sounds like something that's not going to be very boring. Now, <clears throat> we could spend all day talking about those joys, right? right? Those pleasures, those delights. We could talk about all day about things that make us cry now that will not make us cry then. But truthfully, when you look at what the Bible has to say about this new heavens and this new earth, what makes heaven heaven is one dominant reality. And what is that, church? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God that we will be right next to him, that we will be able to see him for all he is. And truthfully, church, and hear me very carefully at this point, the Bible does not really use the languages, I'm excited to go to heaven, as if heaven is the destination you're most looking forward to. You just don't see that language. When the Bible talks about heaven, usually the author says, I am longing to be with who? With Christ, with God. It's why Jesus on the thief, with that thief on the cross that I mentioned earlier, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. With me. Paul in Philippians 1.23 says that he longs to depart this world. Why? So that he would be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul says that when you die, that you're immediately to be in whose presence? With the presence of God. With God. Or even that psalm passage we just looked at, right? That joyfulness, right? Those delights 
Where is that coming from? It's coming from being in the presence of God. Heaven is about being with Christ, church. It's about being with Him. It's about being fully and forever with the one who saved your soul from death and hell. It's about being with Him. It's about embracing the glory of Christ, right? Seeing this, this, this God in whom you've probably spent most of your life praying to, right? Spent most of your life depending on, most of your life banking on that what he has said and done is true. Church, one day you are going to be able to see him face to face. You are going to be able to embrace him. You are going to be able to fully understand the one in whom you love right now but have never seen. That's why I think that the only tear that you actually see in the new heavens and new earth, in that passage we read in, verse tw- in chapter 21, comes right after God announcing that he will be with his people forever. It's a tear of joy. It's a tear of joy saying, you're home, son. You're home, daughter. And there's at least going to be one tear going. I'm home. I'm home. And so, truthfully, if you're not looking forward to being with Christ, if that's not the end goal, then you may not know him. Right? You may not know Christ. You may just be wanting to not go to hell. But that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're longing for ultimately. We're longing to be with the one who has saved us from hell and saved us to eternity with him. I'm really longing to just be able to thank Jesus in a, in a way that I just don't feel like I can fully do right now, saying I was on a road to hell. I was sprinting in so many ways, Jesus, when you pulled me, you've plucked me and said that you are mine. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for saving me. I didn't deserve it. But you chose me unknowingly, unrationally to me. You chose me and you saved me. And that's why if you're not sure where you're going, right? If you're not sure where you land when eternity is on the line, will you come and talk to me after service? There's just too much at stake. There's just too much at stake for us to just be able to walk out of here, just go about our day if you're not sure. And so I'd encourage you to talk to me or maybe one of the other leaders. Now, let me close with a quote, because I know when I talk about heaven, right, when we talk about these realities, and we gaze upwards and long for these joys and these realities that is to come, our enemy wants us to belittle it and really think that it's not actually true. It's too good to be true. And we'll start to accuse us, saying, don't you remember what you have done? Don't you remember who you are? Don't you... Didn't you read that passage that nothing unclean will enter into heaven? See, our enemy wants us to doubt this reality. But let me close with a quote from Martin Luther, and then I'll pray for us. He says, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Church, that is good news. That is good news. Let's go ahead and just, let's just pray and we'll, we'll end their time in the Word.
Well, Father, I thank you for our, our, our time to be able to just think through and ponder through all of what you are going to be doing and what we are going to be doing, all of what we'll be able to experience, knowing that this is something that you have saved us to. God, we want this eternity, this understanding of eternity just to be magnified in our hearts. We know that you've, you've written eternity on our hearts, and God, I pray that, that we'd be able just to peel away some of those layers that keep us from understanding it and embracing it. God, I pray for those in this room that don't know you, that God, that this is something that you want for them, that you've even brought them here likely today, that, that they would be able to embrace you as Savior and King and Lord and be able to turn, repent from their sins and trust in you. Because knowing even all the good things that are to come, the best thing is you. The ultimate thing is you. To that we love and rejoice. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.